hard to believe it's Labor Day weekend. Where did the summer go? It just flew by. Well, we're looking forward to the fall. We're going to have a great September here at Springbrook. Next week, when we get the 10th and 11th, we're going to be commemorating 9-11, as well as suiting up as a team as we head into the fall, finding our positions and our roles as we carry out our mission for God. Then on the weekend of the 17th and 18th, we're going to celebrate our 15th anniversary here at Springbrook. God has blessed us. Huh? Isn't that great? Yeah. Now we're going to top off our anniversary celebration with our annual baptism at the lake. At Lake in the Hills. And you're going to want to be there at 4 o'clock because that's when we celebrate how God has worked in so many people's lives over the last couple of years. People who have come to the Lord and now they're testifying to what Jesus Christ has done in their life uh, through water baptism. So put that on your calendar. And then the next weekend, the 24th and 25th, we're beginning our new fall outreach series twice a year in the fall and then again in the spring. Uh, we have a special emphasis of really trying to encourage our community uh, to join us in our worship celebrations. And we ask you to think and pray about who you might invite out. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a friend or a co-worker. Somebody who you think might come. And really, when you invite people out to church, many times they say yes, more than you would think. The majority say yes, at least one time. <laughs> so please uh, be praying about that. And we're also going to be sending out 50,000 postcards uh, to our community. And this is what the front of the postcard looks like. This piece of mail could change your life forever. Never got a postcard like that? That's quite a promise, isn't it? Could change your life forever. And you turn it over. And don't throw away this opportunity. Our service times and map. But the message is what we see. This is an invitation to engage with Jesus Christ. The one person who really can change your life forever. This fall at Springbrook, we will be teaching biblical principles about how a relationship with Jesus Christ can revolutionize your life. At our weekend services, we have contemporary worship and programs for your kids. I need to get glasses here. <laughs> Where's Dr. Bill when you need him? Uh, that make learning about God fun and meaningful. Check out our website for more information. I have, again, information there. Now. This is really kind of an unusual postcard when you think about it. When's the last time you got a piece of mail that said, Jesus Christ is the answer to your life? When some people receive this postcard, they're going to tear it up immediately. Because Jesus Christ is the most offensive name in history. Because Jesus Christ is God. And bottom line... You have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. Some people have already decided. They're going to tear it up. They're going to swear. They're going to use our church's name in vain. <laughs> you know? I think somebody might even burn it. Because their hatred toward Christ is so great. It's a pretty offensive card, really, when you think about it. But I really believe 
that there are many people out there who the Holy Spirit has been cultivating the soil of their lives. And this is part of God's plan that they that this card is going to come in the mail. And the Holy Spirit is going to use that to prompt them to come and experience our body here and hear the gospel. And that's what we need to be praying for. We need to be committing ourselves to prayer. On September 24th, we're having a day of prayer. Our prayer team is sponsoring from 7 to 4. Pick out an hour to come and pray. Pray for God's power to be unleashed within our ministry as we seek to introduce people to Jesus and help them to grow and flourish in that relationship. Well, the reason I bring this up is because we're going to be talking about living forever today. We're going to explore that as we finish our 17-week series. That's a long series. (laughs) 17 weeks studying the book of Matthew. Just selected passages. It take a lot longer to study the whole book. But we've been in this book for four months, and I've I've had a good time. (laughs) I get paid to study the Word of God. It doesn't get better than that, right? Yeah, I don't know about that. I I just enjoy it so much, and I've learned so much, and God has spoke to me, and I know He spoke to you. And and, and I want to give you a self-feeding challenge as we end this series. I want to encourage you uh, to read the book of Matthew. Read the book of Matthew again as you head into September and remember the things that we talked about and what God spoke to you about in your life. Or go on our website and, and go to where our messages where you can download them or go to iTunes and, and maybe find a message you missed or find a message uh, that really spoke to you as we conclude this series. So, so, and continue to feed yourself, teach yourself how to, again, dig into God's Word. Don't depend upon me and other teachers. Uh, Learn how to do it yourself. All right. Well, let's dive in here to Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, as we conclude our series, Learning to Live Like Jesus. This is the story of the rich, young ruler. It's here in Matthew 19, as well as it's in Mark 10 and Luke 18. I'm going to write that down. In fact, Turn in your Bibles to this passage. So bring your Bibles. Take out your sermon notes. Make some notes what God says to you during this time. Uh, let's work together in uh, learning God's Word. So, uh, it says, Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, there's two ultimate questions that everybody has to answer in this life. The first question is, Why am I here? Did I come from some primordial soup? Or did somebody create me? What am I doing here? What's the purpose of life? And the second question is, where am I going? When I die, which I know I will. Some people live in denial quite a long time, but it happens, right? When I die, where am I going? Now, you talk to a Hindu and they say, well, the whole purpose of your life is to work really hard. Build up some good karma. And if you build up enough good karma, you'll have the opportunity to live again. And something else. Or if you don't, you go down the chain. And eventually, after who knows how many lifetimes, you'll reach nirvana. Talk to a Muslim. They'll say, well, you need to work really hard for Allah. 
You need to do a lot of good works. Extreme end of, of course, Islam would say you need to be a martyr and kill other people. Uh, because if you do that, then you're going to go immediately to paradise if you're a martyr. Immediately to paradise. Now, if you're not that good, there's different levels of heaven that you go to. And we could go on and on. I mean, all the world religions teach something of that nature. But it's all about working really hard in this life. That's what's so unique about Christianity. It's not what you do in this life. It's how you respond to what's been done for you. What Jesus Christ did on the cross as we celebrated during communion. It's how you respond to this free gift. That's the critical thing. And when you respond to that, then you have this unbelievable relationship with Jesus. We're just going to naturally do good things for Him. But that has nothing to do with coming into relationship with Him. The gospel is encapsulated in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God says in this book that when you breathe your last breath, you're going one of two places. If you have not responded to Jesus Christ in a positive way, you're going to hell. You're going to a place of pain and suffering, and the goodness of God will be removed from your life. But if you do respond to what Jesus Christ has done for you, if you do respond to God's love and embrace His grace, you are going to heaven to be with God forever. In fact, everyone is going to experience eternal life in one of these two places. But the eternal life that's spoken about here is a quality of life. Everybody's going to have a quantity of eternal life, but this is a quality of life that you are going to be with Jesus. When I became a Christ follower when I was a child, I started my eternal life. This kind of eternal life, the good eternal life. The life with Jesus that I, I'm going to live throughout this life, and then when I pass it, I'll live on. Forever. Now, what, what a wondrous thing, huh? Say, well, I've heard this stuff before. What do you mean you've heard this stuff before? You've got to keep thinking about it. You've got to keep meditating upon it. You've got to say, yeah, I'm going to live eternally. We've got to rejoice over this. First John 5, 11, this is a testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. What an incredible gift. Something you should wake up every day and thank God for. Yeah, you got lots of problems, lots of challenges, but thank you, Lord, that I have a relationship with you that's going to last for eternity. And do not believe the lie of this world, the lie of Satan that so many people are propagating today, so many churches are propagating that there's many ways to God. Our society has just embraced universalism. It's like, hey... As long as a person's sincere and they're committed to whatever faith they're involved with, even if it doesn't involve Jesus Christ, that's, that's cool. God will take them. No! God will not take them. Acts 4.12 Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. 
Jesus Christ is the only way. There's a lot of great people out there. Yeah, true. We know a lot of great people. People are really good, but if they're not Christians, they have not dealt with their sin problem. It doesn't matter how good they are. They're still sinners, and they still need to be redeemed and need to choose Jesus. And they haven't chosen Jesus. Well, they're not going to heaven. It's a hard thing to work through in our minds, but that's what God's Word says. And that's why what we do here is so important. That's why this family that we have, this body, this local body, and the mission that we have to get the gospel out is so critical. Don't you want it for other people? Lori and I are going through a Another chapter of our lives. We've got three boys, late teens, early 20s, and we're, you know, taking care of them and meeting their needs. And then we have our parents on the other end of life. And Lori, uh, her dad is Everett Hawbaker. Uh, many of you know him. He helped start our Awana clubs here at Springbrook and served for, I don't know, maybe seven years uh, here. And uh, just, he, he's been a pastor all his life, 50 years. He's been preaching the Word of God, and he loved nothing better than preaching the Word of God and communicating the love of Jesus Christ. And he worked for Awana International and uh, went all over the world, started clubs over in Russia. Just a real man of God. And, and in 2002, he had a PSP come into his life, which is a rare form of Parkinson's, which basically just shut down his body. And so when we go visit him in the nursing home, he basically, all he can do is squeeze his, his fist. Can't talk, hasn't talked for two years. Suffering. We're not sure of what's going on inside his brain. It could be 75, 80%, who knows? And he's just watching the world. Imagine the suffering he's going through. A man who just loved to... I was thinking about him when we were singing. Uh, he just loved to sing, and he can't sing praises anymore. I know he's doing it in his head, but uh, suffering. And I talked about my dad, and uh, this past week we found out that uh, he's aspirating most of what he's eating. So therefore, you know, ammonia will soon come, and in the next couple months he'll pass. So... You know, Lori and I, as we think and pray about those things and work through those things, you know, it, it just brings incredible comfort to know that the moment when they pass, the moment when we will experience a new type of grief in our life, they will be at the greatest point of joy. Of joy. Being released from their feeble bodies, their wretched bodies that have tortured them. And they will be with Jesus. No more pain. No more suffering. They'll be able to experience His presence and experience life as God intended it. And that is so comforting to me and to Lori. So here it is, guys. I mean, you have friends, you have neighbors, acquaintances, you know. Don't you want that for them? 
Don't you want them to have the same comfort, the same knowledge, the same hope for their own lives and for the lives of the people that love them? I mean, really, what could be more important in life than getting that good news out? Spreading that hope to other people. There's nothing more important. That's what's great about being part of the church. God's chosen us to be the vehicle of the gospel to get the good news out to other people. I would encourage you as you go through this month of September to be thinking and praying for two people. First of all, one person that you know that you're going to invite out to our series, that you're going to pray for and and just take that initiative to say, come on out. Pray every day for that person. And invite them. And if they come, that's great. If they don't, well, you continue to love them and continue to share the gospel as you have opportunity just through your love and uh, care for them. Then pray for another person who would never step inside this church. <laughs> or a person who lives far away. A person who needs Jesus. Maybe a loved one. Maybe a friend you've had for a long time. I know I was talking with uh, someone last night, and they've been working on, I think it's their cousin, for years. Years. And finally, uh, their children aren't come out to our Wana Club. But it takes a long time sometimes. But, but be, be in prayer as we uh, fulfill our mission that God has given us together. Well, let's go back to the passage. This eternal life is so important that uh, we should dwell upon it. Now, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Who was this man? Well, he was a rich young ruler. He was a ruler. What was that? Well, we tend to think that he was a ruler of the synagogue. Kind of like our church back in that day. They went to the temple to make sacrifices, but on the Sabbath... They went to the synagogue where there was teaching and uh, music, those type of things. And it's like what we're experiencing right now. He was the ruler of the synagogue. He was a guy in charge. He wasn't the rabbi per se, but he was the ruler. He, he took care of a lot of things. Meant he was a very godly man, very devoted, very religious. Uh, and we'll see that from the passage. So he was esteemed in the community. He was a leader. Uh, he was a ruler. He also was rich. He was wealthy. Had a lot of resources, and that will play a big part in our story. And finally, he was young, which meant that God had blessed him. He had gone very far and in a short time being ruler of the synagogue. So usually people this age wouldn't be a ruler of a synagogue. So that's who we're talking about. And this man was kind of desperate to find out the answer to his question. We see this in the parallel passage in Mark 10:17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he ran up to him. Running wasn't very common for men in that day. And Jesus was walking down a road and there's always crowds around Jesus if he's near, near a city. And and so here comes the ruler of the synagogue. Everybody knew who he was. And so they kind of parted the way as he kind of ran up to Jesus and he fell on his knees. And he wanted to know 
how to inherit eternal life. Now, here's a guy who studied the law. He knew the law backwards and forwards. The law found in Scripture as well as the rabbinical law, the pharisaical law, the laws that they made up to make themselves appear even more <laughs> godly. He knew all those laws, but still there was something missing in his life. It didn't quite come together. I mean, he had everything. He had wealth, you know, he had status, he was young, but still life was incomplete for him. And he had heard about Jesus. Now, did he think that Jesus was the Messiah? I do not think so, because how does he address him? He addresses him as a good teacher. Well, that's not the Messiah, right? There are a lot of teachers in that day, and Jesus was very popular, as we know. And maybe he had heard Jesus teach. Maybe he just heard about him. I don't know. But he was coming to Jesus because he thought there was some secret, something that he had not studied in all his years from when he was a babe that he had not been taught. And he wanted to know that secret. He thought Jesus just might have the answer. Now, how do you think Jesus would respond to this? Let's say I was Jesus. How would I respond to this man? Well, first of all, <laughs> he's very interested. And he comes out and asks a question. Now, how do I go to heaven? How can I inherit eternal life? Uh, I have to get to evangelism. And over the many years that I've used that, uh, very few times has somebody just come straight up to me and said, I want to become a Christian, tell me now. <laughs> it, it's happened, but not very often. So, wow, this is a hot prospect. This is like, wow, this is going to be easy. This is low-hanging, ripe fruit. Then you also have this man who is a good person. You ever look at a person and they're, they're just so good. And you say, it'd be wonderful they became a Christian. You know, it wouldn't be a hard transition. <laughs> well, that's kind of how you're thinking about this person. Yeah. And on top of that, he's influential. If he became a Christ follower, wow. I mean, people's lives would be changed because he spread the seed all over the place. And, and he was rich. He had resources. That always helps out. On the mission, right? If I was Jesus Christ, I would say, well, let's see, i got 12 disciples. Why not a baker's dozen? Huh? Add this guy to the team. I must have missed him when I was recruiting or something like that. Yeah. So, Jesus Christ should just say, hey, all you have to do is repent and believe in me. And put your faith in me and follow me. It's simple, right? So, let's see what he says. Verse 17. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. What? Jesus is wasting an opportunity here. I look at that response. What is he talking about? I mean, the guy is asking about eternal life. Can't he just keep it simple? Why does he have to make it complicated? Why does he have to say these things that I don't quite understand? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus says? There's only one who is good. Now, what's Jesus Christ saying? Bobby's man didn't believe that Jesus Christ is Messiah. But the one who is good is God. 
So he was implying, hey, I am good. I am God. There's only one, and that's God, and I am God. He says, you're missing the point here. You're talking to the Messiah. And he goes on. Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. That's what you do. Obey the commandments. That's what the Old Testament law says. If you want to inherit eternal life, obey them. And I can just sense the frustration with this guy. What do you mean obey the commandments? I've been doing that all my life. <laughs> I want something new here. Some new information. And so he thinks, okay, maybe there's a key commandment that I, I, I haven't focused enough attention on. Maybe there's like a commandment that if I really just give all my energy to obeying that particular commandment, it's going to open the secret door. So he says, which ones? Oh, what are you talking about? I mean, there's a lot of commandments. Okay, let's, let's narrow this a little bit. Tell me what exactly, you know, ones you're talking about. Oh, so Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what's he talking about here? Well, this is the last half of the Ten Commandments. The first five commandments are about your relationship with God. He doesn't bother with those at this point. But the last five deal with your relationship with other people, how you treat other people. Do not murder, adultery, stealing, lying, honoring your father and mother. Then he adds one that wasn't part of the Ten Commandments, but part of the Shema, which was what the... Jewish people would say on a regular basis uh, every day uh, that summarize the whole law, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, he threw that in because he knew that that's where this guy was struggling the most. So how does the guy respond? He says, well, all these I have kept, the young men said, what do I still lack? saying, that's easy stuff, okay? I've already done that. And he really believes that about himself. And probably in that day, uh, he was doing pretty well in obeying those commands. But the challenge here is that he had externalized his religion. He had externalized his religion, and that's what most people do in this life. They externalize their religion, whatever religion it might be. They say, okay... Well, I'll obey these commands. I'll behave in a certain way. But on the inside, I'll do my own thing. I'll think the way I want to think. And as long as nobody knows about that, that's fine. See, he had issues in his heart that we're going to see here in a moment. Jesus Christ, when he talked about the Ten Commandments, he said, You've heard it said, do not murder. But I say, don't even be angry toward your brother. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, yeah, it's easy in a sense not to murder somebody. But what you guys are doing, you're not murdering. You're so proud of that. But you're murdering people inside your head. You're hating them. You're thinking of different ways to hurt them. And when you think about it in that way, it's just like hurting a person physically. It's sin and it's wrong. He said, it, it's been said, do not commit adultery. And people say, well, I don't commit adultery. 
But what about your mind? What are you doing? What are we doing? You know, fantasies, of lust, pornography, internet porn, those kind of things. Well, as long as it's not hurting anybody. No, no, it's sin. The problem this guy had is he didn't think he was a sinner. He thought that he was a performer, that he had fulfilled the law and he was still empty. When the real problem was he didn't realize that he was a sinner in his heart. He was blind to his sin. This whole pharisaical system that had been set up, everybody had bought into that you just obey the, the commands and you are going to be okay. Well, it doesn't make any sense at all because if you look at the Old Testament, the purpose of the law is to show that you're a sinner. That's the whole purpose of the law. Every command that you read is you're, you know, dragging through Leviticus and you know, Deuteronomy. You know, some of you never make it. You just die there in the desert when you're going through your ride to the read to the Bible plans. Uh, every command is to say, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. And what's the point? Well, the point is a sacrificial system. The lamb that was slain. Yes, you cannot do it, but God will forgive you for not doing it. God will extend grace to you. And the, the lambs that were sacrificed for centuries were foreshadowing what we just celebrated, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he just didn't get it. The, the whole pharisaical system that people lived out, they didn't get it. They didn't understand it was all about grace. It was all about forgiveness. And that's what Jesus Christ is driving at here. And I just want us to also think about this. Many times we externalize our religion, even though we do have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm doing fine, but again, you know, we're hating people in our mind. We're lusting in our mind. We're jealous in our mind. And as long as I don't tell anybody about it, what's the big deal? Friends, the more mature you become, the more you let the Holy Spirit speak into your life, the more you'll realize it's your thoughts. That's where real maturity comes. You can stop murdering people, and, you know, that kind of thing. But really, it's your thoughts. That's where it all begins in the heart, right? In the mind. That's where the Holy Spirit needs to do some cleaning. And so ask the Lord to speak. How's your thought life? What's the one area that's the weakest where you just continue to sin and Ask the Lord to convict you and repent from it. Well, I love this next verse. So here's this guy. You know, he has no clue that he's a sinner. You know, he's so caught up in his pride, so caught up in his wealth. And verse 21 says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's a beautiful verse. And here's this guy. He's clueless. Um, he's lost. He's talking to God Himself, you know. And so many times people in our society, as you know, because of their backgrounds and disorientation, uh, they think that God just hates them and wants to judge them. And Jesus Christ is looking at a lost sinner here. And He just loves. He just It's like there's a moment there in time where everything is suspended. And the crowd's around. You know, they're listening to this conversation. He's talking to this rich young ruler. And you kind of get into the mind of Jesus Christ. 
what's Christ thinking? I love this guy. I want him to be my child. I want him to be. I want. I want to be a savior. And that, I don't know. That just melts me, because. And that's how he looks at you and I in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our rebellion. If you're in rebellion right now, Jesus is still looking at you in love. He still loves you. And he wants you to come back. He wants you to turn around. He wants you to just repent and and say, I don't know what's going on. I'm lost. I need you, Lord. He wants you to come back. Again, that's that's kind of eyes that we need to have as we look at people around us. Even the people that irritate us at work or in other areas of our life, we need to ask for eyes of love, the eyes of the love of Jesus. So then he goes on to talk to him. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, okay, if you really want to follow the law like you say you have, what do I lack? Okay, I'll show, I'll tell you what you lack. If you want to be perfect, okay, if you want to try to, to reach God through good works, this is what you need to do. Go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. He says, okay, you think you are so religious, and you have it all together, and you lack nothing. I want you to put your money where your mouth is, okay? If you really care about people, if you really have a heart for people... Sell your lifestyle away. Give everything away. And then you can fulfill the law. That's what basically Jesus is saying. Okay, you want to fulfill the law? You want to get to God that way? You do this. How the man respond? When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great well, now we say, why did Jesus ask that question? I mean, he's not asking us to do that, is he? I want to just make sure about that. <laughs> no, no, he's not. But he could read the man's heart, and he knew that he, he worshipped his stuff. His life was centered around his wealth and everything that it brought, and he, he knew that was the problem. That was his sin. One of his sins, but that was kind of like the primary sin that he wasn't identifying in his life. So, so Jesus Christ says, okay, if you want to continue on this plan, this is what you need to do. And the man, there's no way I'm going there. And what he really was saying, there's no way that I'm declaring that I'm a sinner. That's what he was saying. I think that I'm understanding this passage. I mean, Jesus asked a question, certainly, and he said, do this. But Jesus Christ, I believe. His real intent was for the man to say, I can't do that, Jesus, because I worship my wealth. Jesus, I can't do that because I am a sinner. I can't fulfill the law, Jesus. If he would have said that, I believe the conversation would have gone on and that man would have become a follower of Christ. But this man said, no way, I'm not going there. I'm not declaring that I'm a sinner. And then I'm selfish. And so many people do that. Pride keeps people from Christ. They want to continue in their sin and not call it sin.
That's what we need to pray for people who are lost. That they would come to the point where they understand that the reason they're so messed up is because not because of other people's sin, not because of their circumstances, not because they're victims, but because they are sinners. And they need a Savior. We go on to Matthew 19, 23. And Jesus said to the disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's interesting. How hard is it? Verse 24, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, how difficult is it for a camel to go through a needle? Do you have to really think about that? (laughs) Some people have wanted not to, uh, you know, say that God, say it's impossible for rich people to go to heaven. Okay, they they come up, uh, you know, with, you know, research and those kind of things. I say, well, there was a, a needle gate in Jerusalem. And it was very small. And so what a camel had to do is get down on all fours, take off the storage baggage, that kind of thing, and take off the saddle and just kind of had to push that camel through. Come on. There was no needle gate. The point is that it was impossible. It was a colloquialism that was borrowed from Persia. And they said uh, for an elephant to go through the eye of a needle if something's impossible. They didn't have any elephants around Israel, so they chose a camel. So Jesus just used the colloquialism that was used in that day. He said it's impossible for rich people to go to heaven. Now, before you start thinking, hey, okay. <laughs> Some of the rich people you don't like, you know. Uh, listen to this, verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. What is he saying? It's impossible for any of us to enter the kingdom of God. Not just rich people, but every one of us, none of us can earn it. That work-based righteousness orientation that all uh, religions have, it just does not work. Verse... uh, 25, chapter 19. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Because, you see, back in that day, the disciples had bought into this pharisaical orientation. They didn't fully understand the gospel. They thought that rich people had the best chance of going to heaven because the more you gave to the church, like in alms, uh, giving to the needy, uh, like we do through our helping hand, people who are in need, uh, we give to that and stress that on the first Sunday of every month. But you give so generously to that. Thank you. Uh, but the more you did that, that got your points with God. And the more sacrifices you brought and the better sacrifices you bought. So rich people, you know, if they can't impress God with all their sacrifices, and all the money they give, who can go to heaven? Hey, this is just unbelievable for them. What are you talking about, Jesus? We don't understand this. So Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. He said it is impossible for a person to go to heaven because they're sinners. But with God all things are possible. Because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, all things are possible. It's possible for people to come into relationship with God because of what God has done for you and for me. And that is the gospel message. 
that we need to continue to get out into this community, which we're intending to do. And one more thing I want to note here. It just doesn't start at salvation. We focus a lot on the salvation experience. Like, oh yeah, I can only do that with God. But every day you're living out that truth. That the Christian life is impossible to live. And so many Christians are frustrated because they're trying to live the Christian life. And, okay, I got that done. Now I've got to work on this command and this command. We're just like the, the Jews and the Pharisees saying, I've got to do all this stuff. And I don't know why I'm not doing it right. Well, they thought they could do it. And some Christians do believe they can do it. Uh, but really, when you're honest with yourself, no, it's not working. Well, it's not working because you can't do it. It's impossible with you, but it's possible with God. Right? Amen? That's right. And that's why every day you need to wake up and say, God, I can't do today for you. But I'm going to abide in Jesus Christ. I'm going to let His Holy Spirit flow through me. And you are going to enable me to live in an impossible way today. Because it's through you that I live. And some of you are struggling today. Some of you just... You're just sitting there and and the burdens are piled up. You have so many challenges in your life. You do not know where to start. Your brain is fried. You have spent all week trying to figure life out. And you're sitting there and thinking, this is not helping me. (laughs) I know about eternal life and salvation and stuff. I want something to help me. Okay, well, I'll tell you what will help you. (laughs) You take us with that verse back up again. You take this verse and you meditate on it, you memorize it. And every time you think about your marriage and how it is a mess, and it's like, what am I going to do? How am I going to approach this? And every time you think about that one child who who just is a special challenge for whatever reason, and they're just draining the energy out of you or your finances, you're trying to figure out how to get a job. It's impossible. Yeah, it's impossible. But it's possible with God to do any of these things. Now, again, it doesn't mean that God's going to come down with His magic wand and you're going to wake up tomorrow and everything's going to be great. you know. But it does mean that God is going to sustain you. God is going to give you resources, even if you don't have a job for another year. He is going to help you along to be able to cope and to be able to thrive and to grow deeper in relationship with Him. I know it's not easy. I know there's no easy recipes. It's just thrusting yourself upon Christ and say, I don't know what to do. And then slowly He puts, sometimes quickly, but typically more likely slowly, He puts the pieces together. And He helps you through life, no matter what you're going through, even if you're dying. He helps you through that. God never promised a wonderful life. He didn't. Some people have very painful lives. But He did promise to be there with you. And He promised promised you a wonderful eternity. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my friends here. Those who are struggling and hurting and lost uh, in the sense of their circumstances and Life is hard, Lord. Life is challenging. Thank you that we have you. Thank you that you can do the impossible if we'll just entrust ourselves to you, only depend upon you. Lord, help us to every day grow with a deeper knowledge of our sin. 
in order that we might depend more upon you. In Christ's name.